Well, Psalm 16. And I will begin in verse 5 for context. This is the very word of God for you and for me today. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, and may he add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, family of the Lord Jesus Christ, as this psalm provides us with a wonderful window into the heart and mind of David and his knowledge of the great and many benefits of his salvation, as as this psalm is directly messianic. It also provides an even more glorious view of Christ and his relationship with God the Father. We saw a bit of that a couple weeks ago, and we're going to see even more glorious things today. We considered David's confident cry for divine preserving grace a couple of weeks ago, didn't we? His cry came from a heart filled with trust in the benefits that God gave him. Never forget that union with Christ makes it possible for all believers to experience the inseparable benefits of regeneration, of justification, of adoption, of sanctification, and of glorification. And further, we're blessed to know the perfect trust that exists between the Father and the Son which was on display in the midst of fleshly trouble that was all around Jesus in his life and ministry on earth. Jesus trusted the complete and full preserving care of his Father. He never doubted it or questioned it for one second. God's abundant love and and favor, beloved, The the love and favor of the Father is is upon Christ, his Son, in whom he delights, and and therefore his perfect love and goodness is towards, and, and his delight is also in those whom he has set apart from before the foundation of the world. His excellent ones, his holy ones who belong to Jesus Christ and are in him. Jesus delights. In you, beloved. He prays for you. He intercedes for you. And this is another great benefit. We are truly special as God doesn't delight in everyone. We see that time and time again in the Psalms of David. He doesn't delight in wicked idolaters. 
Indeed, they are and forever will be the sorrowful ones if they don't repent and turn to Christ in true faith. And yet David also knew his heavenly inheritance, even that being the Lord himself. Jesus knows the same. He takes no earthly inheritance, but fully receives and enjoys the Lord as his riches and glory. And indeed, Jesus is our bountiful portion. He is enough to fill our cup and to make it overflow. Jesus is enough to fill us, to maintain us, and abundantly bless us with the inheritance that is ours in him. So many wonderful and glorious things. I could probably stop the sermon right now and we could just ponder these things. But as we consider the second half of this Messianic Psalm tonight, let's see more of the clear gems of Jesus, his death and resurrection, and his being the ultimate fulfillment of this psalm. And we'll do so looking at David's words of his blessing the Lord in verses 7 and 8. Gladness of heart and rest and hope, in verse 9, and the victory of the Messiah, in verses 10 and 11. But look with me at verse 7, where David speaks of blessing the Lord. He says, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. Now, as we think more on the truth of verse 6, I read that in the context of our reading tonight. You can look back at that if you would like. As we think more on the truth of that verse, we better see and understand what David is saying in verse 7. If you recall in verse 6, David says, The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I, I have a good inheritance. And indeed, by grace, David recognized God's blessing. He understood the pleasantness of the divine gift given to him, the goodness of the inheritance given to him. And indeed, it was all of the work of the Lord in his heart, and therefore, in verse 7, David would bless Yahweh, who counseled him. He would bless Yahweh, who counseled him. We think about Psalm 73, Verses 23 and 24. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel. And afterward, receive me to glory. Here he's speaking of the work of the Lord for him. He's speaking of what he knows will be true with confidence, with thankfulness. Indeed, he would praise and thank his God who advised and guided him to see his portion and happiness truly being in the Lord. But also as we consider Psalm 145, the first three verses, we hear and read there, I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. So as we consider blessing the Lord, indeed we must bless the Lord and praise his name every day 
and we will forever in his presence. But further, it is good for God's people to receive and to be guided by divine counsel. To be guided by divine counsel from the Spirit of God in his word. For when left to ourselves, what is true, our hearts are all too easily capable of following our our eyes and not submitting to the Lord. Indeed, Scripture teaches us that not only did the Father preserve his Son, which we previously looked at in that promise in Isaiah 49, but Jesus also made the Lord his portion and was happy for that portion. His goal, his highest aim, was to do his Father's will and to give his Father glory. Consider Jesus' answer to the Jews who sought to kill him because he said that he was equal with God in John chapter 5, beginning in verse 19. He said, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does, and he will show him greater works than these, that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Beloved, see, as as David was counseled and guided by the Lord, so too here we see the Son doing what he sees the Father doing. We see the Father showing his Son all things that he himself does. The Father raises the dead and gives life, and so the Son does as well. And so what are we to make of and and understand in this passage? We'll see two pieces here. The Father and the Son are one God with one perfect will in being. But secondly, there is order in the economy of the Trinity. The Father sent his Son and the Son went. The Father leads, Christ follows. So therefore, what does David mean also by saying in Psalm 16 that his heart instructed him in the night seasons? Well, beloved, when David was still on his bed at night where he was away from the world, it was there that his heart, and literally in the Hebrew, that his kidneys, the the innermost part of his being, It was there that his conscience was at peace and where his conscience taught him and reminded him of his duties in living a life that truly bore witness and testified of the reality that God was his portion in salvation. This was a time of blessing from the Lord to David, even in the quiet of the night. David went on to say in verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. 
Now, as we consider verse 8, know that verses 8 through 11 are important in showing us Christ and his redemptive work. We know this from Peter's preaching in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. Turn with me there if you would. Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. We're also going to consider a little bit later Paul's preaching in Acts 13. But in Acts 2, we read, Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken up by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And notice verse 25 here. And really, this is a a wonderful connection that we see Peter making here with David in Psalm 16. Look at verse 25. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. And so Peter goes on to say, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David. And notice this, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet, knowing that God had swore with an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. All from Psalm 16. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, and therefore being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Powerful passage. Powerful testimony and clear revelation of who Jesus is and making vital and wonderful, beautiful connections here in David's words in this Messianic Psalm in Psalm 16. Indeed, again, I've shared this before, but many scholars have said that, yes, this is a song of David, but this is really also a song of Christ to his Father. For we indeed, we see Christ speak here and notice some things about Peter's speech and sermon. 
Peter speaks to David's prophetic ministry here. God gave David prophetic insight and trust in his promise that God would send his son who would sit on David's throne. But Peter also speaks of the foresight that David was given regarding Jesus being free from corruption in the, in the grave along with his resurrection. And also, finally, Peter tells us of what Christ did and what David didn't and couldn't do, namely his ascension and session. His ascension and session. Jesus rose. He ascended into heaven. And he sat and sits at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning. That is his session. All of this showing Jesus to be Lord and Christ, indeed. May God's people praise him for this. And so when David says in Psalm 16, verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. He's not only pointing us to his own safety and strength, as God is his Lord and strong tower, but he's also pointing us to Christ's rock-solid strength and stability and guaranteed success. Jesus was never moved by selfish ambition. He never staggered, though he was stricken and smitten, though he suffered much for us. He couldn't and won't be overthrown. Christ couldn't and didn't fail in his mission as the Messiah. And because all of this is true, we see the glorious words of verse 9. Therefore my heart is glad. And my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. And, and this verse is very rich, beloved. Here is the, the wonderful fruit of faith. Having faith, David didn't, and, and we don't merely experience some kind of mental tranquility, but we have true gladness. We have true joy and cheer and rest in light of the victory, and under the reign, and in communion with King Jesus. All of these things are true for us. And further, David had peace, and we can have peace and joy in Jesus, even as we approach the grave. I am a dying man, preaching to dying men. The grave is ahead of us, but we do not fear. We truly will have a hopeful rest, a hope-filled rest, and we will dwell securely as we joy in Christ's resurrection and have hope in the guarantee, therefore, of our own. We have no despair with Jesus as our Lord because we know where we are going. We know that death does not have the last word. For we know the victor. And so meditate on this. Though he walked the path to the cross, Jesus had joy and gladness in faithfully carrying out his mission. 
And his joy was also grounded in the knowledge that though he would die and his body be buried, the grave couldn't keep him. His flesh would rest in hope. And there was good reason for such confidence. His body would not see corruption. There was such good reason for confidence. Again, the the son speaks of the work of his father. Look at verse 10. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. My friends, David said these words in reference to his own deliverance from the immediate threat of death. However, we know that in time, David died, and he was buried, and his body would see corruption, which refers to its decay in the ground, children. But as David preached in comparison regarding the demonstration of Christ's victory, or excuse me, as Paul preached, In that comparison, in Acts 13, beginning in verse 35, you can turn with me to that passage as well. Paul preached some wonderful words communicating the demonstration of Christ's victory there. We read, therefore, he also says in another psalm, again referring back to Psalm 16, You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore let it be known to you, brethren, that though this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified by from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. A very clear teaching regarding what the truth of justification by faith is about and who it's in. But now in the whole counsel of God, beloved, We learn, we know, and we believe in the work of the triune God in Christ's resurrection. His body saw no corruption. Indeed, it didn't. First, we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, and this is wonderful. I encourage you to jot down these references in your notes. In Acts 2, 37, we're taught the Father's work of raising Christ from the dead. In 1 Peter 3, 18, Peter speaks of the Spirit raising him, saying, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. And in John chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus predicts that he will raise himself from the dead. Wonderful. But now the question arises, who resurrected Jesus from the dead? God did. God did. All three persons of the Trinity were involved. See this. All three participated in creation. All three participated in salvation. All three are responsible 
for Christ's resurrection. Praise to the Lord. And in Psalm 16, verse 11, he says, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Indeed, beloved, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. In Christ and his life, God shines his light and reveals the path to us. In Christ, we have life and glorious life with him is what we will have in heaven forevermore. Full joy is present. Full joy is abundant in his presence. Remember God the Father's promise of the happiness that he would give Jesus, and that being foretold in Psalm 21, verse 6, where he said, For you have made him most blessed forever. You have made him exceedingly glad with your presence Beloved, joy for Jesus is being in the presence of his Father. That is the true abundance of joy. Oh, how we too are joyful for his presence now, and we long for the time when we shall see him face to face. But further, great pleasure comes from the place of honor at God's right hand we see here in this psalm. And this place of honor and closeness is where Jesus is seated and enthroned at the right hand of God. And so, beloved, I encourage you to take this song of David, this song of Christ to his Father, home with you tonight, and and study and meditate on it as a psalm that you never want to forget. as we should with all of Scripture, may the truths and the words of this psalm and the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ and the wonderful pieces that we see about him and his work be impressed in your minds and hearts. Meditate on it, I encourage you. What God reveals to you here about the person and work of your Savior, about your Heavenly Father, and about the Holy Spirit is so marvelously rich. And therefore, feed on the riches here and be driven to praise and thanksgiving to your God. Receive his counsel and his guidance like Jesus did and wholeheartedly submit to it. No reservation. No holding back. No discarding. The counsel and guidance of the living God who loves you who is concerned about your best and has your good in mind with all that he brings to pass for you. May each one of our hearts be instructed in the night seasons. May each one of us ever be mindful of our duties in obedience and joyfully carry them out. May the joyful, obedient walk of Jesus in the midst of great suffering be fresh in your mind tonight as you consider his faithfulness for you. May your comfort be deepened and and your hope strengthened as you consider the suffering of Christ culminating in victory, death being defeated, and resurrection life springing forth. 
He lives, beloved. He lives. He ascended. And he is seated in the throne of honor. Jesus reigns. He again has great joy in the presence of his Father, and he is coming to judge all men and to bring us into his presence. To bring us to that wonderful home that he has gone before to prepare for us. To be in the presence of the living God. Such a wonderful picture and reality here. Indeed, all glory be to God and and praise him for revealing this to us here tonight. Amen. Praise God for his word. Let's, Let's pray together. Oh God, our God, you are great and marvelous in your revelation. In the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, it is so rich and it is so encouraging and strengthening to our hearts to see the wonderful truths of the life, the person, the work of Jesus in this psalm. To see this wonderful window of the relationship between you, Lord Jesus, and your Father. To see the promises of the Father given to the Son. To see the joy of the Son and the Father. Lord, help us to never stop desiring to be students of your word and your revelation, that we would see and know more and more of you, the triune and living God, that we would see and know more and more of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would praise you and love you all the more, and that that would be deepened and strengthened every day until you come and take us home, and even beyond, Lord, that we would always desire you and glorify you. Oh, Father, we praise you for what you have shown us here today. In Christ's name, amen.